You're listening to audio from New Horizon Worship Center, located in Waco, Georgia. If you would like additional resources, please visit us online at www.NewHorizonWorshipCenter.org. Today, if you're turning with me, I'm going to be in Romans 12. But I want to talk to you just for a few minutes this morning about your vehicle, about your perspective, your vision, and a reset. I got a question for you. What are you waiting for? In your life, what it, what is it that you're waiting on? What are you waiting to jump, to make a move, to do something big, to to take a risk, to step out in faith, to believe God, to what are you waiting on? Or can I say what are you putting off? What is it that you know God told you to do, but you keep putting it off? You don't want to take that step because it might be hard or it might be scary or there may be some sacrifice involved. What are you putting off? This is the time. Change your perspective and change your life. In this moment, you are as young as you'll ever be. And also in this moment, you're older than you've ever been. Think about that. Do it now. Do you know they've, they've done some studies and psychologists did some studies and you can go look it up and read about it. You can just Google it and, and some of these studies will pop up. But that anxiety and excitement produce the exact same thing in your body. They produce the same chemical in your brain. They both make your heart rate go up. They both make you, they can make you sweat. They can make you feel the same physical, natural feelings. And they produce the same chemical in your brain. Excitement and anxiety. But one's positive and one's negative. Like, when I read that and I started reading that study, it was crazy to think about. But it said your body produces the same thing. And one helps you, excitement, helps you to perform. Or you can compete at a higher level if you're excited. Your adrenaline's pumping. You're excited. It helps you perform mentally, physically. Like you can compete at a higher level. The other destroys performance to the point if anxiety gets so bad, you can't do anything. You can't even go to work or get out of the bed like it can can get that bad to where it destroys performance and it takes away your competitive edge. It do the opposite. But your brain's producing the same chemical. And your body, what's the difference? Perspective. How you see it. Your focus. Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm going to read it to you in the Message Bible, and then I'm going to read it to you in the King James, and we're just going to kind of use this as a starting point to just get our minds going. So here's what I want you to do. Paul wrote this. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Well, it's a good thing God's going to help us. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. What's he saying? Give him what you have. But don't wait till one day when I have something more to give. Give him what you got right now. Give him your everyday life. You're walking, talking, eating, sleeping, whining life, or happy life, or whatever. Give him what you got now. Don't wait. Give it to God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in to it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. and You'll be changed from the inside out. We all want to change. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you. How am I going to do that? you got to have a vision. 
readily recognize what God wants. Listen to His voice. Recognize what it is that He wants you to do because it's hard to do it if you don't see it, if you can't hear Him, and quickly respond to it. You know how when your alarm clock goes off in the morning, if you quickly respond to it, you're up and going and it's no big deal. But the longer you lay there and wait, the more times you hit your old buddy snooze, the harder it is. And sometimes it just don't work. You're just playing. Sometimes you fall back asleep and realize, oh no, now I'm late. And it throws your whole day off. Paul's saying it's like that with God. When you hear God call you to do something or show you to do something, quickly respond to it. Don't just wait around. Don't get talked out of it by yourself or other people. Quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. God wants to transform you from immaturity. Remember, um, we read a couple weeks ago where Paul said, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I spoke like a child, or I reasoned like a child. Like, and, and how does a, a child reason? They think about right now, what I want now, what I want a piece of candy. I, yeah, I'll eat candy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I, they don't reason with maturity, they don't think about the future or what's bad. Oh, this is not good for me. They only think about me. It's selfish. Rather than the good of others. Maturity is when you start to put others before yourself. Think about me and what feels good right now. God wants to transform you from immaturity to a well-formed maturity. Look at the, uh, the King James Version. This will be really familiar to you. Um, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Don't go patting yourself on the back. It's your reasonable service. It's what you should do. And be not conformed or don't fit in to the world but be transformed. Okay, we want to be transformed. We want a transformation. How? By the renewing of your mind. You've got to change the way you think, Paul said. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God by the renewing or the resetting of your mind. Did you know this weekend, today, that you could get a reset that you could get your mind reset and then you would see a transformation work itself out in your life. God wants you unstuck. He wants you to move freely. That's what Christianity is, is that we were transformed from death to life. It's not from good to bad or bad to good. or No, it's that we were dead in sin and he made us alive. It's a transformation. It's easy to fall back into an old way of thinking. Well, everybody's doing it. He said, don't fit in. Don't conform to the world. Don't start acting like everybody around you. That's what everybody else does. It's okay. Everybody else watches that movie. Why shouldn't I? Everybody else is doing that. Why shouldn't I? What's wrong? It's not a sin. Maybe it's not. Everybody's doing it. Did your mom ever tell you, well, if everybody jumped off a cliff, would you? Or a building or whatever she chose for the example. If everybody was jumping off, would you? Maybe. No. Husbands in the room. Have you ever been in an argument with your wife and realized somewhere in the middle of the argument that you were wrong? 
I haven't, but I heard people talking about that. Now, I, that's one horrible feeling. Like, oh gosh, now how do I get out of this? How do I change the subject? Like, it'll shoot. When you realize it, it's like, uh, you get that realization. It's kind of like an, well, when you usually hear people talk about an aha moment, that's not the kind they're talking about, but that's kind of what, oh gosh, she is right. I did say that. Uh oh. You got a realization. I'm wrong. Uh, a waiter asked me, uh, how do you want your steak? And uh, I said, it's like winning an argument with my wife. He said, rare it is. <laughs> why, why? You get a realization or you have that aha moment like this. Watch. I was thinking about this. Did you know the word crisp? C-R-I-S-P. Crisp. This word starts in the back of your mouth and ends in the front. There's no way to do it the other way around. I tried for 20 minutes in my office last night. Crisp. Now you all want to try it, don't you? Want to feel how that feels? Just say crisp. Crisp. Feel it start in the back and come to the front. You want to try that out? <laughs> crisp. What are you talking about? I read that. I got information that that word starts in the back of my mouth and moves to the front, but then what happened? Immediately, I tested it. No. Crisp. Oh, it is crisp. Can I make it not be like that? I can't make a P sound at the back of my mouth. What are you doing? You're being retarded. No. What are you doing? I, I got some information. I got some knowledge that I read, but I didn't just take it for what it was and say, well, yep, it starts in the back and goes to the front and move on. I tested it immediately. And then I told it to y'all, and some of you wanted to test it, and some of you didn't even care. It's true, but I had to prove it. This is why we need to test and approve the good and the pleasing and the perfect will of God. When you come in here and you hear me preach and read something out of the Bible and you hear me tell you something and you hear me say, but then you don't ever test it or prove it. You don't ever try it on your life. You don't ever apply it to Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. Then you come in here and you feel good and you get motivated, but motivation without discipline doesn't accomplish much. You can declare a thing all day long, but until you're willing to invest, you don't see results. You have to invest. You have to have discipline. You have to test it. The pleasing and perfect will of God Paul was talking about. Because if you haven't been transformed by the renewing or the resetting of your mind, you will follow the pattern of the world. You'll just automatic. You'll fall into that pattern. And you'll think it's the will of God. But if your mind is transformed, you become not only hearers, but doers of the word. James talks about that. I don't want to be just somebody that comes in and hears the word. I want to be a doer. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I don't want to just talk about how good God is. I want to experience Him. God's not far, far away. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to find Him. Like when I play hide and seek with a little kid like Azalea, you think I'm going to go hide real good and put on some camo and run 20 acres back in the woods and hide in a foxhole? Why? Probably going to stand in the middle of the room and be like, oh, no, you found me. 
Watch how happy she gets. That's how God is with us. He wants you to find him. He's not far away. He wants you to find him. He wants you to know him. Seek him. So I'll give you information. But you need to try it. Test it. Do it. Show me your faith. This was the message of James, Jesus' brother. Go read the book of James. This was it. I show you my faith by my works. Look at my life. I test it. Man, don't come in here looking like you're looking in a mirror and you turn around and forget what you look like. Don't just hear the word going in. Do something about it. That was James's message. So what am I talking about? Not earning salvation. Acts of service is a good way to put it. Why? Because if you love, you give. It's the number one response of love is to give. If you really love someone or something, you're going to give to it. You're going to give money to it and time to it and your talent to it and thoughts to it. You can't love without giving. In 1995, Dr. Gary Chapman uh, wrote the book, The Five Love Languages. And so a lot of you have probably read that book or looked at that book. Or if you're married or in a relationship, it's a good book to read. And actually, really, it's probably a good book for anybody to read. And he explains in there that we all receive and give love in there are five different ways. So some people have a main one that may be different than yours. But um, the five love languages, as, as he calls them, are number one is gifts. Number two is quality time. Number three is acts of service. Number four is words of affirmation. And number five is physical touch. Um. And so it's a good thing to learn how, especially if you have a spouse or somebody you're in a relationship with or people, if you know how they receive love and give love, then it's, easy, it's a lot easier to love them in a way that they will receive. So I was thinking about that and thinking about being transformed and God is love and ultimately we want to be transformed into God and to look like our Father as we mature so we're not immature like we just read in the message translation, but we want to be well-formed and mature. So we should be looking like love. And then that got me thinking, so what's God's love language? Because we want to love God. What, what's His love language? Does He have one? Because He's loved us with all of those. We can find every one of those in Scripture. He's given us gifts. He gave us all kind of gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, but then also His Son. We're getting close to Christmas here, and that was the most precious thing He had. He gave us as a gift. He, I don't want to spend too much time on each one, but He gives us all five of those. But what is His love language? Um, so look at 1 John 5. 1 John 5, 1. John wrote this when he was old. He was in his 80s, and he was out on the Isle of Patmos, probably, and he was writing this stuff, but this was the John that walked and talked and lived with Jesus, the disciple that Jesus loved, he referred to himself as. This was Jesus's probably best friend that we know of, and from reading the Gospels, it looks like this was the closest one to Jesus, as far as a friend, John, you know, they were sitting around eating dinner and John would lay his head over on Jesus' chest and take a nap. That's pretty close buddies. Um, he was like Jesus' good buddy, Jesus' good friend, and, and John's writing this in his old age. And if you go read this whole, really just go read whole First John if you get a chance because it it explains so much about love and friendship and how we're supposed to love people and how God loves us. And but I want to look at, at chapter 5, verse 1. Whosoever believeth 
that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. And everyone that loveth him, that begot, loveth him also, that is begotten of him. It's not about you earning it. It's who you believe in. I was dead and I met the Christ or the life. Jesus was the life. He is what we need. But if we don't realize that we need him, we won't receive him. So what's God's love language? Verse 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God. That we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. Grievous. That's God's love language. Obedience. Then other things started popping in my mind. Remember when Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. Or some translations say, if you love me, obey me. Jesus was saying, uh, the real test comes when you're asked to do something you don't want to do. You know, obedience is easy when you're being asked to do something you want to do. Or when you're being asked to do something easy. If I tell a little kid in the room, hey, come up here and eat this piece of candy right now. And they obey me. Well, that's great. I'm real happy. But that's a whole lot easier than if I tell one of them to, hey, go clean up that mess in the floor. That's when obedience gets hard is when we're asked to do something we don't really want to do. Remember that scripture that says, obedience is better than sacrifice to God. Like God would rather you obey Him than to make some great sacrifice. I think obedience is God's love language. Look at verse 4 and 5. For whatsoever born of God, for whatsoever is born of God, overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Who is he that overcometh the world? Who is he that wins? Who is he that does not conform? Who is he that sees a transformation? Who is he that will rise above? He that believes or trusts. That Jesus is God. That Jesus is the Christ. Obedience is a journey. Not my sister. It's a journey. And sometimes it's a long, weary journey, it seems like, and it's just step after step. But obedience is a process. It's not a, you hear one thing one time, you obey, done. It's a journey. And the right thing is usually the hard thing to do. I don't know why. Well, I do know why. But I don't like it. But usually the right thing to do is the hard thing to do. What if I decide that the right thing for me to do to get myself in physically in good shape and and for myself mentally and what I need to do is that I need to get up early in the morning before my day starts I need to carve out enough time to get up and go to the gym all right so that's a call I hear and something that I hear that I need to do for myself physically and to get myself spiritually and mentally good and that's something that I've heard that that's something I need to do and so I make a commitment I'm going to do that What time do I have to get up to do that? Okay, I need to get up at 4 a.m. and go to the gym. That's my commitment. That's what I'm going to do, right? That's great. You got a vision. You got a call. You've decided it's what you need to do. You decided it's going to be good for you mentally, physically, spiritually. That's what you need to do. That's good. We all do that. We hear calls in church of things that we need to do and stuff that we do. Okay, I'll do it. We even plan it out. 
But where you decide to obey is when the alarm clock's going off. That's when your decision is made. At 4 a.m. when the alarm's going off and everything in your body's talking you into not going today. What will it matter? Hit the snooze button, roll back over. You don't have to go to work for two more hours. You can skip the gym this morning. It ain't that important. You'll talk yourself out of it quick. And the longer you lay there, the, eat, the better chance of talking yourself out of it. I'm using the gym as, as an example. You understand that. But as I was thinking of an example, I thought about the gym. Guess what? I've never once... And I've gone to the gym a lot of times. I've never once regretted later in the day going to the gym. God, I wish I didn't get up and spend an hour on cardio. Not a rush. I would have just laid around and ate donuts. What a poor decision I made. Wasted a lot, an hour of my life. I've never felt that way after leaving the gym. Ever. In fact, it's the opposite. I'm happy. I feel accomplished. I feel better. I, I feel like I have a clear head. I've done what I needed to do. I, whatever. Like I, it, It's the opposite. But guess what? When I've laid in the bed and talked myself into the fact that I was too tired or I didn't need to do it today or, or talked myself out of a commitment that I knew was good for me, then I feel bad later. Later on that afternoon, I feel like, yeah, I didn't do it. Why? What's wrong with me? Why the thing I don't do, I should do, and the thing I don't, just like Paul said, the thing I know I should do, I don't do, and the thing I don't do, I want to do. And the, You start getting down on yourself, and you feel bad about it later. Because usually the hard thing is what you needed to do. So what do I need to do? Get a vision of what you want and stop making excuses. Get a vision of what it is that you want in your life. Get a vision of what you want in a marriage. And then don't make excuses of why you don't have it or why you can't have it or why you... Get a vision of what you want physically, spiritually, ministry. Pick an area. Get a clear vision and then stop making excuses. Stop blaming other people. Why you are where you are or you're not where you should be or you're not going anywhere pointing fingers. Look at John 5.5. 5. This guy cracks me up. John 5, 5. I'm going to read 5, 6, and 7. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity for 30 and 8 years. So he's had it for 38 years. It's not like he just got sick or he just got lame. And when Jesus saw him lie, and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Jesus sees the dude. He's been laying there for 38 years. Can't walk, begging. And Jesus said, You want to be made whole? You want to be healed? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. And when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. They believed that when the water was stirred, that meant there was an angel there, and the first sick person that could get into the water, that they would get a healing or a blessing, they would be made whole. And so Jesus said, hey man, do you want to be made whole? And this dude said, I don't even have any friends. I, mean, I got nobody to help me down to the water. The only way I can get made whole is if I can get down there to the water. And I got nobody to help me down there to the water. And every time I do kind of scoop myself along and I finally get close to the water, somebody else steps in in front of me. I mean, every time I'm about to get a promotion at work, somebody else steps up and gets the promotion. 
And every time, I don't want to give too many examples because it seems like I'm talking about somebody. You see what kind of attitude he had? Do you want to be whole? Well, I don't have help. Well, I don't have blah, 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 blah. He started making excuses. He started looking at circumstances. He started pointing his finger at other people or the lack thereof. I don't have the team to do that. I don't have the resources to do that. I don't have the... Jesus didn't ask you all of that. He didn't ask you if you could do it or if you figured it out. He said, you want to be whole. Do you want to be transformed or are you good with the life that you're living for the last 38 years? Hey, do you want something different? I believe he asked every single one of us that question. Hey, you want to be healed? Or do you just want to stay broken? And as long as we keep making excuses and pointing our fingers at other people, we're never going to find our healing. Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to move on? He pointed his finger. See, we want the world to change. Waiting, waiting on the world to change. We want our circumstances to change. But we don't want to change. Sure, I want other things to change. Christ in you is the hope of glory. The hope that God will receive glory is the Christ, the anointing, that the Messiah that's on the inside of you is the hope that God will receive glory. Not Christ in people or Christ in Dusty or Christ in the world. It's, it's Christ in you. So he's complaining because he doesn't have the right, can we say, vehicle to get him to where he needs to go. He doesn't have a way to get to the water. He doesn't have the right vehicle to get him to where it seems Jesus is calling him to go. Look at John 14. John 14, 1. This is Jesus talking. And Jesus says to the disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. What's he talking about? The cross. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Where was he? In perfect relationship with the Father. That's what Jesus came to do is restore relationship with the Father. So that where he was, we now can be also. And whether I go, you know, and the way, you know. And Thomas said unto him, Lord, um, we know not whether thou goest. And how can we know the way? No, 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 no. We, we don't know where you're going and... How could we know the way? And Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's hard to trust when you don't understand. It's easy to trust when you know everything's going to be all right. Well, I don't understand. That's okay, because if you understood everything, then you would be God. You know, that's one of the most freeing things as a pastor when I found out it's okay to say, I don't know. You don't have to make something up. I used to feel like I couldn't say, I don't know, because I should know. If somebody came to me with a problem or, or somebody asked me something about the Bible or some theological question that I didn't know and I, I just felt like anxiety, stress. It sure is freeing to know it's okay to say, I don't know. Because there's a whole lot of things I don't know. I'm learning and growing 
just like hopefully we all are. I don't know. Sometimes people ask me questions and bad things happen. Why do bad things happen to good people? And they come with some bad thing that's happened in their life and they look at me and they say, why? And sometimes I say, I don't know. I believe one day we will know. And I believe if you will allow God to make you whole and walk through this thing and we can pray and we can, and I believe one day you'll look back and you'll see his hand and how he used it in your life and how he'll use it to help other people. But I don't know why. It makes me mad too. It's okay to say, I don't know. I'm not God. I don't know everything. I know that may be a surprise. If you're looking for a perfect preacher, run quick because you ain't found him. <laughs> Look somewhere else. Stuff happens. Maybe we're ready, maybe we're not. But you know that verse, in my father's house are many mansions, verse 2. Many mansions are dwelling places, and we've talked about how now after Jesus went to the cross, we're the dwelling places of God. No, you're not. You're the temple of the living God. Many dwelling places, many mansions. Um, can I say, in my Father's house, there are many vehicles. There are many vehicles. In the last few weeks, I know that perspective keeps coming up. And here we go again talking about your perspective or your vision or how you see things, how you perceive things, how you, how you look at things. I'm going to ask you today as I kind of wrap this thing up, what do you see? When you look at your life, when you look at God, when you look at your family, when you look at your relationships, when you look at, what do you see? What is it that you see? What's your big dream? What's your big vision? What's, what do you see? Because it changes what you do and how you act. What you see, your perspective changes the way you live your life tomorrow. It changes the decisions you make and it changes the relationships that you pour into. It just does. So what do you see? What are you looking at? See, we want a transformation. We want a change. But it really matters what we see. Anybody like doing puzzles? I know Journey loves doing puzzles. If I take a puzzle, say if I go get a thousand-piece puzzle, and I take the top off the box, and I throw it away, and then I come and hand her a thousand puzzle pieces with no top, no picture, no vision of what it's supposed to look like or what it's supposed to be. It's going to be a whole lot harder for her to put that thing together. In fact, she's going to fumble around and it's going to take her way longer and she's going to lose interest and it's going to be hard and she may never get it together and it may end up being something that just gets put in the trash because... Even if she does get it put together, it's going to take way longer than it should. That sounds like the children of Israel marching around for 40 years when they could have made it in seven days at a straight shot. Why? Because she has no vision of what that thing's supposed to look like. It could be Star Wars. It could be a donut shop. It could be the ocean. She can't tell. But if she's got that box top and she can look at it and say, Oh, look at that. It's a Star Wars puzzle. I'm going to focus on Darth Vader's face. Then she can look for all the black pieces and all the pieces that are the right color, and she can start putting them together. But any good puzzle person knows that that ain't even what you do. You don't focus on Darth Vader's face. You do the borders or the boundaries first. You get the corners in place, and you set up good boundaries and good borders that you're not going to go past. And it says, this is where it's going to be, and this is where the picture is going to be made, and this is where the picture is going to be formed. And then the picture is formed, and it's a beautiful face. And as puzzle pieces or vehicles or however you want to say it, as we come together in one 
community, one church, one family, if we will be put together and rightly assembled, we will create a beautiful picture of God. The glory of God, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the picture of Jesus, the picture of our God, or the real living, breathing picture of love to the world. Now, if we have a clear vision of what that looks like, and if we've been obedient in setting up boundaries and borders and corners, Christ is the cornerstone, and we've set up those boundaries and those borders, then it's going to be a whole lot faster and easier to fill in that picture. And it's going to be beautiful. And every piece has a place and every piece is important. We've got to have vision of what it's supposed to look like. And it's got to be clear. And there can't be a barcode over part of it either. So what do you see? I'm going to tell you in two weeks what I see. I'll be here on the 30th. You got to have a vision. Then you need to set up some borders, the edges. Get a vision for your home, your relationships, your job, your marriage, your ministry. Get a vision for your health. The new year's coming. You can transform. <coughs> then change or renew your mind. You know the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over, expecting different results. But yet we all do it in our lives. Man, I wish this was different. Man, I wish this was different. But yet we do the same thing every single day. It's never going to change. Ephesians 1.18. One verse right here. Ephesians 1.18. The eyes of your understanding. My understanding has eyes? The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. And what the riches of glory, of the glory, of his inheritance in the saints. You must have a clear vision so that you know what your calling or your purpose is. How will you step out of your brokenness and into purpose if you don't see your purpose? It's hard to step out of your brokenness and into purpose if... If you don't see the purpose, so what do you see? Is it still blurry? That's okay. If it's blurry, God said all through the Bible, God asked this question. What do you see? He asked Amos and Zechariah and Jeremiah, what do you see? Hey, you're a prophet. What do you see? Why? He wanted to know. Because it's so important. Jeremiah 1.5. When God first called Jeremiah. Jeremiah, we know him as this great prophet. And he wrote this, this whole book. But in Jeremiah chapter 1, where God's calling him. Um, then the word of the Lord came unto me saying. In verse 5. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. So God had a call before he even put him in his mother's womb. Same with you. Verse 6. Then said I. Now here's what he said to God. So God gives him this awesome call. Hey, this is what I made you for. I knew you before you were born. I put you in your mom's womb to be a prophet to the nations. That you would come to me on behalf of people and that people would come to you on, like you would be the go-between between me and people. God gives him this awesome call. And then look, then said I, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I'm a child. That speak is 
like, not like he couldn't talk or put words together. Like, he wasn't a good speaker. You just called me to be a prophet, and that's what I'm going to do is speak. I can't speak. And I'm too young. I'm a child. Weren't you supposed to call an older guy? For I'm a child. <laughs> that's being taken back to the nursery. Well, I think we had an escape. They got him. <laughs> For I'm a child. Last verse 7. But the Lord said unto me. Now look what God says back to him. Say not I am a child. For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. So, wait a minute. I thought this was hilarious. God gives him his call. He said, I can't speak. I got two reasons. I can't speak. I'm horrible at it. And I'm too young. I'm a child, right? And then God answers him back and says, don't say you're too young. Apparently, he really couldn't speak. <laughs> God didn't say, oh, no, you're a good speaker. God's like, yeah, you're right. You do, son. You are pretty bad at speaking. But don't say you're too young. You just go where I say, and you just speak. You just say what I tell you to say. But So apparently, he really wasn't a good speaker. He was pretty bad at it. Just do what I say, and I'll go with you. And then you could skip down to verse 11. God asked him a question. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? What do you see? God asked him, hey, what do you see? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. And he goes on to say what he sees, what vision he has, what he sees. It's so important what you see. He didn't have it all. He wasn't even a good speaker. He wasn't confident in himself. He was a child. But it's so important what you see. What's your perspective? What if I told you about something, but you had never really seen it? Think you got a good picture of it? Even if I showed you a photograph of it? Or what if you had seen a reflection of it. Would you really know what it looked like or felt like if you had never seen it? Already I'm about to blow your mind. You've never seen your face. You've seen pictures of it. You've seen reflections of it. You've never seen your own face. So any of you that just agreed with me that you wouldn't really know what something looked like if you had only seen pictures and reflections, <laughs> you don't know what you look like. <laughs> You've never seen your own face. What do you see? All right, let's wrap this thing up. In my father's house, there's many vehicles Many different ways. Perspective and vision keeps coming up. And I think we had talked about this a long time ago, <clears throat> a little bit, but a lot of times we get the vision, the dream, the purpose, the vision, and the vehicle, or the stuff, we, we get them confused. We get it mixed up, and I think it really hurts us, and it stops us. Remember when Jesus said, where your treasure is, your time, your talents, your treasures, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. So we got to learn, especially walking into this next season, we need to know how to separate the vision from the vehicle. We can't get them mixed up. Like, this building, this church building is not the vision. It's not the purpose of all of us gathering together and giving our money and time and talents is to build a bigger, better building. That's not the vision. This building is a vehicle that we use to walk out the vision. It's just a vehicle. It's not precious. It's a vehicle. What's inside of it? 
that's what's precious. My car outside that we drive around, it's not precious. Trust me. (laughs) Go take a look at it. It is not precious. But the things that happen inside it are. When the talks I had with Sky on the way to wrestling last Thursday was things that happen inside of that vehicle. The vehicle just gets you to where you're going. The vehicle can house the purpose, but it's just to get you there. We can't get them both mixed up and confused because then we start focusing on stuff and not purpose. We start focusing on things rather than people. My house, I love my house. It's comfortable. It's home. I know where everything is, mostly, till Jesse switches stuff up in the kitchen. Like our measuring cup. For some reason, why would we keep a measuring cup in the same spot for years and all of a sudden we're going to move it to a bottom cabinet where Tupperware goes to die? This is not a a dialogue. This is a... (laughs) Um, My house is comfortable. I love my home. I know where almost everything is. But it's not precious. Right? My vision, my purpose of being a father, my vision for a godly marriage, my... My, my purpose and my dream of raising godly young men to change the world, that happens inside that vehicle. And I'm using that home, that vehicle, I'm using it to walk out that purpose and that call on my life. But it's not precious. If it burned down, I hope it doesn't. But if it did, the vision, the dream, the purpose, the family, we're still going. But if I got mixed up and somehow that house became tied into my purpose and my future and my dream, and my, then if the house burns down, I'm wrecked. Because what's my purpose? That's all I had. That's what I poured everything into. Or my truck gets wrecked. Or my, but if I can learn to separate my vision and my purpose and the vehicles, the stuff, it makes things a whole lot easier. Now, you need different vehicles to get you to different places. If my vision is to go to Africa, it'd be helpful if my vehicle was a plane. I mean, we do need to be real about it. If my vision's to go to the moon, I need a rocket. Appreciate your pickup truck, but it ain't going to get me there. And if my vision and dream is... So big. I'm going to need a bigger vehicle than a Yeti cooler and some raffle tickets. But you know what? On the other hand, if I need to go to Walmart this afternoon, which I do, I can't drive a rocket to Walmart. I need a truck. Or a car. Depends on what he's called you to do. What kind of vehicle do you need? What kind of vehicle do you have? What do you see? And are you getting confused on the vision and the dream and the vehicles? Because if you do, you'll start freaking out. Well, you can't bring coffee into the sanctuary. How dare that kid throw a ball and spill a drink? It's a vehicle that kid's more important. Let's teach them. Let's teach them how to clean it up. Let's be good stewards over our vehicle so we don't destroy it and have to buy a new vehicle every two months. Hey, let's change the oil in our vehicle. Yeah, let's be good stewards, but it's not precious. It's not my purpose. 
Don't get stuck on the past. Don't get stuck on what God did. Forget the past and remember God. Remember what he did. Look back and see his hand. And tell your story. I'm going to close by reading you 1 Peter 2 in the Message Bible, 18 through 25, and we'll, and we'll pray. God, what does a transformed life look like? God, what do I need to do? I want to see a transformation. You who are servants, be good servants to your masters. Not just to good masters, but also to bad ones. What? Wait, so if I'm working for somebody, and i got to be a good servant to them, and my boss is a jerk, i still got to be good to them. i still got to be a good servant. He said, yep, and don't, you're not off the hook, if, even if you're working for a bad dude, or not a good master. Even if you're a servant, be a good servant. What counts is that you put up with it for God's sake. When you're treated badly for no good reason, there's no particular virtue in accepting punishment that you well deserve. But if you are treated badly for good behavior and continue in spite of it to be a good servant, that is what counts with God. This is the kind of life you've been invited into. The kind of life Christ lived. We say we're Christians, Christ-like. We're supposed to live and look like Him. He suffered everything that came His way. So you would know that it could be done. And also know how to do it, step by step. He never did one thing wrong. Well, He's got me beat on that. Not once said anything amiss. They called him every name in the book. And he said nothing back. He suffered in silence. Content to let God set things right. Well, they wronged me. Well, they lied about me. Well, they said this. They said that. She, I, that's not true. I didn't do that. I did do that. I, shh. He let God set things right. He used his servant body to carry our sins to the cross so we could be rid of sin, free to live the right way. His wounds became your healing. You were lost sheep with no idea who you were or where you were going. Now you're named and kept for good by the shepherd of your souls. Peter saying, this is who you are. This is what you should look like. Let me remind you what Jesus went through and what Jesus looked like. And while you're busy fighting and you're standing up for what you deserve and who you're wrong and right. and Let me remind you, this is who you are. What do you see? How big is it? Are you getting confused with vehicles and visions and purposes? And is, is that just a vehicle that was supposed to get you to this point and now you're supposed to get out of the vehicle because you need a different vehicle to go where you're going now? Don't freak out on the vehicle or in the vehicle with somebody else that's stuck in that vehicle. Get out of the vehicle. you got to get in the rocket. Or get out of the rocket. Bigger is not always better. Maybe it's time to get out of the rocket and get in the pickup truck. Bigger's not better. Purpose is better. Peace is better. Joy, hope, love. The prize, Paul called it. The high calling, what God's called me to do. What God's called you to do. And seeing the picture of that puzzle. The Christ in you, 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 and me.
the hope that God would receive glory. The broken would be healed. The lost would be found. And every seat at the table would be filled. Let's pray. God, renew us. God, I invite you to change my mind. God, I repent for saying I want something different, but then doing the same thing. God, I'm sorry for praying for bigger things, but not being willing to make the sacrifices to get the bigger things. God, I want to see a transformation. God, I want to be all that you've called me to be. God, I'm dreaming big. God, continue to grow us as a people. God, I ask you to extend our reach. Help us to maximize our impact on the world that you've placed us in. God, we love you. Thank you for our family. Thank you for grace and mercy. Thank you that there are no last chances. That you're patient with us. Help us to look like you. Help us to forgive like you. Teach us to mend the broken. In Jesus' name, amen.